1: wow i could really use current
0: i also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales i guess i'll just go to their website at current.tech
1: without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Hey there, this is Straight Talk, no sugar added. I am your host, Nina Perez, and we are here to discuss life topics to challenge and transform your thinking. Let's do this. Today, I have someone that I bumped into on LinkedIn, right? So this man had such a beautiful article written, and we just had to reach out and, and get him on here. And I'm so glad he's here. And his name is Robert Party. Now, did I say that right, Robert? You
1: is certainly you party? did.
0: All right. Great. Robert is one of those rare individuals who embraces change and lives by the philosophy, which he calls possibility in action and taking his desire for transforming and putting it into his daily action. So building resilience during caregiving of his beautiful and loving wife, Desiree, he learned what it is to live life forward after loss. And I thought this was such a beautiful um, way to talk to my audience Robert because people are struggling with loss and sure. I, I literally just had a friend yesterday or the day before lose her dad who she had been caregiving for um, and she was such a beautiful tribute to him because she put us through the journey of him and going to the hospital and his Alzheimer's and you know all of that and it was such a beautiful thing to see and be there with her even though it was virtually through that sure. journey. Caregiving sure. is a challenge, but before we get into all of that, I would love my audience to know a little bit more about you, so if you can give us a little more than what I gave, that would be awesome.
1: Sure. Well, um, I'm a New York City kid, so I, I, I grew up in New York. I wound up um, going into investment banking, actually, at the beginning of my career, and met my my amazing wife. Uh, I still call her my wife. Uh, she'll always be my wife, I think. Um, I met her very young. She was 17. I was 19. And we just, we, we grew up together. Uh, there came a point in our lives where um, basically I was presented in a great job in the Middle East. Mm. And we thought, okay, why not do it? Because we're young. We get to travel. It was good money. Literally, basically, right after taking that job, she was diagnosed with late-stage breast cancer. And, um, that led me down the caregiving journey. It's, it's a very unusual journey, which is why that article was in the New York times, but having evolved with her or watching also her evolution. I mean, if there's anybody that wants to say Maslow was right about self actualization, I'm, I'm the guy, because I watched this woman just transform in front of my eyes. Uh It led me to question all of my choices after she passed away. And I decided to become a life coach. I had always dreamed of living in Italy. So I came to Italy. I live in the town that my great grandfather immigrated from. And that's pretty much sort of the, you know, the short version of the story. I can definitely go in more more in detail. And I have to say the coaching partly came for myself. Um mm-hmm. and work working through the process of rebuilding and I started working with caregivers then it, then it just it it blossomed um, yeah. and her story uh I just finished a memoir, so that I'm really excited about as well. and um that's that's where it is at the moment.
0: Yeah, let's talk about her. Um, I was reading uh, the the little synopsis you sent me. It's so beautifully written, by the way, and that's just a little bit of it. So I'm excited for your memoir to come out. I am gonna read that. That that was touching just that little bit, so I can imagine. Let's talk about Desiree. Sure. Um, because you, uh, you started by saying that you were young when they gave you this offer. So that means yes. she must have been young when she got diagnosed with this breast cancer.
1: Yeah, actually, now I can't fault anyone because we're talking the late 90s, right? Right, right. Um, we, we, we were married in 89 and she was 21. I was 23. So it, we were very, very young. Young, yeah. <laughs> uh, and when she was 29, 30, uh, she just went for a regular doctor's checkup in New York and there, there was a lump. And he said, Well, you have large breasts, you have cysts in your family, don't worry about it, which was pretty standard back then because of 29. Yeah. 29 30 year old woman necessarily wasn't the the profile for breast cancer. Right. When I received the job in the Middle East, she was doing an MD, PhD. She was just finishing her PhD and she said, You know what? I'm going to take a sabbatical before finishing the MD. Let me come out and live there as well. Well, in the United Arab Emirates, you have to go through a physical health screening, basically, not a physical, but a health screening to get a residency visa. So I said, well, you know what? Why don't we just do a full physical anyway? Because it's been a long time. And they found the lump. They decided to do a needle aspiration. And there was no fluid. Now, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I learned very quickly <laughs> from that point forward. She was nervous, but we both chalked it up to, you know, it's, it's next to impossible. You're young. She she didn't even learn in the medical school while she was in it, that women her age really were that profile and she had no family history. Well, it wound up being stage three breast cancer. Um, She had 11 of 12 lymph nodes positive uh, and it was right after her 31st birthday, um, she had the surgery. She had a radical mastectomy on the left side and from that point forward, we embarked on that journey now my wife was was a really she was a strong woman man was she a strong woman um but she also lived in a very unusual way she didn't believe in judgment other people or herself so she didn't know her gpa she didn't know her mcat scores she didn't know anything she asked me to fill them in on the applications because she only wanted to know she was doing her best so in the Middle yeah, East, it yeah, it was just, and, and she stuck to it. Um, she, she really did. She lived her life. She lived and she died exactly the way she wanted to live her life. She approached everything with the power of choice. And so she asked me, she said, look, Robert, I know enough to be dangerous to myself. I need you to help me. Will you take care of all of this for me? She goes, I... I don't want to know anything but the next steps. I don't want to know the, the details mm-hmm. of the disease, anything. And of course, I said, yes, because what, what else could I do? Right. right. Um, and practically at, at that point, I became her surrogate, which was a little unusual because I had to live the disease to make the right choices in line with her definition because she wanted to be aggressive. Um, the cancer did, she did do a stem cell transplant, uh, which at that time was experimental and they found out it had no bearing whatsoever on mortality. Um, but she decided to do it and she went into basically a quad, I call it a quasi remission because at that point in time, there were really no PET scans, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which are so much more sensitive than a CAT scan. So it probably was in her liver non-detectable up until it got big enough. So she was in this remission and she went back to medical school and she decided from the very beginning when she was diagnosed, I need to use this as best as I can to help other people. And life brought her, when she recurred, uh, which was much more difficult for me than it was for her actually, because she actually... When she was in remission, she was sort of in a depression um, because she was so afraid of when she never told me this until it came back, when it was going to come back. Mm. Just from what she knew she was going through, she knew that she had to have a bad diagnosis. And they had told me when when she did have the surgery in Dubai, actually, an amazing doctor uh, connected to the Mayo Clinic. Uh, because it was Thanksgiving, and our doctor in New York said, "Look, if you fly back, and you know we're going to have to put you through the system, it's going to take too long. Just get get the breast off, basically, um, get it done there." So, when it returned, she felt relieved that she can then, I guess, be who she needed to be without the fear. Where for me, it was like, "Are you effing kidding me?" Right. <laughs> Like
0: that's, what, like that's what I'm thinking. Like, what? <laughs> wow, she was strong. Wow.
1: Yeah, and so it led her down a path. I mean, we did so; our life took off in a spiritual direction, which is was unfathomable. We spent a lot of time in India. She would get on a plane the day she had chemo, sleep the whole flight over to India, and then work in a hospital uh, volunteer. Wow. Hospital. And there was just, there was so much. Uh, she she wanted to give so much. She wanted to do so much. And when when she did pass away, what I kept telling people is I said, you know, she didn't live a short life, even though she was 41. But I said, she lived an accelerated life. I mean, she lived a full life. And she became the director of palliative care at New York Hospital. She said, who better? She said, I'm somebody that's dealing with, you know, the concept of death on a daily basis. Oh. And she became an advocate for patient choice because we found a great group of doctors that allowed us to live her disease the way she wanted. She didn't want her disease to be the center. She, she was a person. What she would always say is, I'm not my disease. I am a person, then I'm a patient, and then there's the disease.
0: That's so good, right? What a good attitude! What a good attitude! So let's back up a little bit. You said you were in Dubai. So were you already transitioning to that position you were talking about earlier? So you were already in that transition over to, yeah? Yes,
1: yeah. I had taken taken the job in 1997, and our plan, which we actually were doing, because she was writing her PhD. She, She, we still had our house in New York, but she wound up going to Ohio because. Um, her professor went to Ohio, so she went there and rented, but it was all crazy. But every six weeks, we met in a different country. Oh, wow. It was just this beautiful, I, like, I went, to, I went to the Emirates to actually save money, right? But, but in the end, we were just spending it and living life, uh, which we never, we didn't stop that. We didn't stop that at all. Um, oh, it's that God. whole concept. But I had taken the job in 97, May of 97, she finished her PhD in October of 1998, and then she was diagnosed in November of 1998.
0: Oh, okay. So right after, did right you after. did you stay in that uh, position, or were you having to change your life to do all this caregiving? Right, because as her spouse, but also as someone she took she made charge of, right, her care. That's right. a lot of weight, right? That's a lot of weight because you know, you love the person already, like she's your world. And now you're making these big decisions also, right, to honor her. So did you stay in that position? Were you able to stay? Or did you have to make your own life transformation?
1: There, 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 there was a transition. So basically, while she was going through the whole chemo situation, she wasn't at school at that time. So I would, we would be in the United States, she would get chemo, we get on a plane, fly back to Abu Dhabi, she would recover on the beach for, you know, 18 days, then we'd fly back to New York, get chemo, and we kept doing that. When she started medical, went back into medical school, she asked me not to leave the job. She's like, "I, I love Abu Dhabi. I love our lifestyle. I don't want my disease to derail your life in 2001 i had the opportunity of um working with someone where i would be able to work from new york and only have to travel back and forth to dubai um, once a quarter so of course oh, okay. i just I, I opted for that but as time went on i stopped working basically right. yeah. um, it, it was it was a choice i, I was very lucky as well, but. It was a choice not so much from the caregiving point of view, but from understanding the progression of her disease while she didn't know, and um, getting more frightened every time I I had a result and I didn't want to be away from her, but also to participate in her life and give her all the space she needed. Like you said, it was very heavy. I don't ever remember it being heavy, which is really interesting
0: Yeah,
1: because it was a gift I could give her. And um, I say all the time, I say, I realize that purpose is when your values come in alignment with your passion. And so that's, that's really what happened. And what happened for me was to learn sort of to rise above my own ego. This wasn't about me at all. Um, Once I realized that and what I could do for her was, was great. And I watched her grow in this career. Um, you know, when, when the doctor we had transitioned oncologist midstream because I wanted her to do something even more aggressive. And we found this great guy in New York that did vitamins and all kinds of other stuff. He, he did traditional chemo, but he added all that other stuff in which I think really maintained her energy level. Um, and when he called me into his office, um, I'll, I'll I'll never forget it. I'll never forget. I just, I, I, I knew he never asked me to come to his office to discuss results. And, um, at that point in time, he said, you, she, she really should go into hospice, but that's not who she is. So you'll have to become her hospice. And I learned how to draw blood. I learned how to flush a port. Ah. I I learned, I I said, just teach me whatever you need me to know. Um, and she wound up living another 16, 18 months. Um, wow. and gave a, a very pivotal speech at VNS Hospice right before she passed away. And of
0: course she did. This no, one is a beast.
1: <laughs> can, can I tell you something which is insane? Like I, I just this is what's, what's so mean because I I say all the time, I am beautifully scarred for having love and cared for my wife. I watched this woman she had um, basically herpes sores up in her throat and her tongue from the chemotherapy right. she gave this speech and she refused to stand behind the microphone for an hour and a half her voice the pain she must have had like you couldn't imagine couldn't tell and she, basically talked about the lessons walking the line between doctor and patient and I knew right then that was it that was her moment she needed to do that and she passed away soon after that
0: right Um, wow what an impressive human being huh if we can live our lives like that even a quarter of the way a quarter of that because most of us live our lives making a lot of excuses, right. And not moving forward or thinking we can't, this woman was getting chemotherapy and flying to Dubai to rest and coming back for the next session of chemotherapy. You know, most of us would be like, I have chemotherapy. I can't, you know, <laughs> wow. That's so impressive. So well, impressive. You, know, you,
1: you you, said something, which is the reason I wrote the memoir, of course, I, I, I love the woman. I I want everyone to, to just know how of amazing, but we focus so much on, on living in a state of joy. Like if anyone asks me about, we had the, I remember laughter. I remember joy. Of course there were tears and pain. And there was that moment that I was really thrown off kilter because of the whole, you know, it recurring. But like you just said, someone once said to me, you know, that whole story is about rising above complacency. Mm -hmm. Like we have this life and how many of us, we're sort of just, we're not building it consciously. We're not living it consciously. And then if we get that piece of paper from a doctor saying, "Uh oh, you have something really bad. All of a sudden we wake up. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah.
1: What, what really this taught me, and it's a hard thing for people to hear because we don't want to hear it, but we're not meant to survive life.
0: It's oh, it powerful. And so, what are we waiting that's for? That's powerful. Yeah. That's so powerful, right? Because that breaks the barrier of all of the fears and excuses and victim mentality and stuff that we suffer with. A lot of people do, right? I mean, I'm just coaching people myself and I'm going back into getting my NLP certification and, and practitioner and all that kind of stuff. And I'm realizing all of the limiting beliefs that just come and stop you and everything that you're doing in your life and then life is gone. And then life is gone, right? Is gone. I mean, you had your wife there and then she's gone. It's like, like that, right? Yeah. And it's like-
1: 11 years and I was prepared. It was like that.
0: It was like that. And yeah. it's like, at the same time, you were able to provide her a life that she also liked, right? She liked going to Dubai. She liked traveling. You were yeah. able to stop what you were doing and say, I'm going to care for my wife. That is powerful, powerful, because I've known of couples that, you know, kind of like split when difficult times like this happen, right? Yeah. So for you to be able to care for her like that also scarred her beautifully, you know, yeah. and that right. that is, that's a beautiful thing. That is so beautiful because you actually did what the vows were meant for, right? It was yeah. in sickness and in health until death do you part. And you did that. Bravo to you, Robert. Well, Bravo thank, to you. Thank Bravo. you very
1: much. Can I I jump in? Because when you talked about limiting beliefs, you know, it, it is so true. And the, the thing is, we didn't even craft those beliefs. We just assimilated things along the way and yeah. came up with these, these truths that really don't, don't have much basis at all really right
0: they're lies yeah
1: so yeah. I, I, I love that you do that work and and you're talking to people about li- limiting beliefs because why 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 waste life I mean but my wife's memoir is, is is called chasing life and it has nothing to do with time it has nothing to do with time at all it has all to do with that rising above complacency and and living consciously. Um, you mentioned before how so many people are suffering from loss. What I realized through all of that is at its root, loss is, well, I love acronyms, by the way, so I call it a lack of security and self. It's mm-hmm. our identity.
0: Mm-hmm. It is.
1: Mm-hmm. I should have been the investment banker living a great job, having an apartment in New York with a doctor, wife, living the yuppie lifestyle. Right. right, she dies like that. That definition is no longer there, right? That's what what is so hard about loss. Of course, there's the pain of losing the person, you know. I, I miss her every single moment, but I realized that I also had to grieve Robert, Robert right. the husband,
0: Robert, the caregiver, right? right? right.
1: Um, life forward to rebuild life,
0: yeah, that's so true. And I, you know, I think that. Um, caregivers also don't get acknowledged either, right? Because it's something that um, I think people look at the patient or the person that they're caring for, whether it's a parent who deals with a child with um, disabilities or something that they're a caregiver as well. And it's um, sometimes you the, the, the people around you, family members, friends, associates usually look at the patient and not the person caring for the person. Yeah. And so that person, meaning someone like you, kind of gets put to the wayside a little bit. You know, it's like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but do you, do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Cause I, that I, happens.
1: I, I, it, it, it happens. Um, I think it's also because people don't know what to say.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's true. So,
1: this yeah. is so much of it's, it's not that when you become a caregiver, all of a sudden, it's as if you're going through this master's, PhD, super course where you come out speaking a different
0: language. Yeah. Oh, that's you, good. There's doctor's appointments, there's medical terms.
1: People don't know how to interact with you. And it's it's alienating for some. Other people, they're just so sad and it, it makes them feel uncomfortable or right. they realize, oh, my God, this could happen to me. Um, we we lost friends uh we lost family uh mm-hmm. but we gained deep significant relationships um right. as well so it's it's part of because it's a transition it, it is a transition mm-hmm. you become a caregiver uh, i have a very good friend who who lives in canada i um, caring for her daughter and you, you know her, her daughter can't do the things that other children do and parents don't know how to deal with her or the daughter.
0: I think but, I know who you're talking about. Is she a caregiver? Does she have a, yeah, yes. what's her, can I ask you her name? Brenda. Oh, okay, okay. No, it's not Brenda, but okay. I know okay. someone in Canada who does that kind of work. Yeah. Same same story.
1: And so, um, and one of the reasons why when I decided to to transition my life I wanted to be able to help caregivers. You know, coaching, coaching is so powerful. Yeah. But what coaching really is is you need to empower the person. You're you're trying to make yourself obsolete in the person's life, basically. Right. You know, you're not a motivator where they have to come and, and see you once a week to get a pep talk, and you're not an influencer trying to manipulate the way they think. You're right. saying look, you you are unique. You have unique tools. And so you've become a caregiver. What can you put to use for me? One of the things that I put to use and I had to learn was surrender, which I think is such an act of bravery. Yeah. You know, because there, there are things, there are things you can't control. Right. Um, Right. And the more energy and time you, you dedicate towards that, the more draining it is for you, you fall into the victim mentality because you're not able to f- change something that you want changed.
0: Right. But there's a
1: whole other side of it where what I wound up, what I realized uh, after my little, uh, let's say imbalance uh, when she, her cancer occurred was that I wasn't there to fix her. I was there to support her journey. Wow. Support her in that journey. And that's all I could do right that, that required surrender right that that required and what surrender does is it, it focuses you on the present moment because you can't change the final outcome so right. what what can i change today you know that's what, so powerful and, and that's how we should live our life, you know, and I know, well, I mean, I
0: mean, surrender well, eliminates ego, right? Surrender eliminates ego, you can't have an ego and be surrendering at the same time, they contradict each other. Yeah. So when you surrender, you're literally surrendering your ego, all of you know, all of this, um, the, the mind of the thing that you thought it was supposed to be like, and to care for someone, is, uh, I love what you said about your job was not to fix her, was to support her, right? A lot of times we want to fix the problem. We want to fix the problem, right? So then we're not focusing on the care for that person or what that person needs, right? If you wanted to fix her, you would have never let her travel. You would have never let her do that speech. You would have never let her go to school, right? It would have been like, nope, you're going to sit in this bubble, we're gonna fix this.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. When she wanted to get a dog, my my heart, like I was ripped and too because I'm like, oh my God, dogs could carry diseases. She could have like a low low white blood cells and she'll get a disease from the dog. Like I was going, but you know, I saw her face looking in, you know, the the puppy store. And I was just like, oh no, you know.
0: Yeah. That, you were like, give that, me 15 of those. <laughs> that's that's what it is, because in the end
1: we can't relegate joy to the future. It's, no, it's a very sad, very sad life, you know, just think about TGIF in a way, how, if you really think about the concept,
0: it means you're hating Monday through Thursday. Yeah, I never agree with that. But it's
1: that's- become, it's such a great marketing scheme, right? It is but,
0: beautiful, yeah. But thank, thank God it's today
1: is it, it, yeah. really, is really the key. Um,
0: right. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. You know, so, so good. It's not easy.
1: <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely not easy. It's it's a practice. Like we talked about, possibility in action being my my life's philosophy. It's a philosophy. You know, the the ancient philosophers didn't say, "Hey, read this self help book and you're <laughs> gonna be okay." They said. Put these lessons into practice. Yes. It was all about practice. Now we're right. so addicted to reading every self-help book that there is. Coming up with these nuggets, we feel like we're being active. But it's up until you you, you step into, you know, what was it? Brene Brown talks about um, that uh, Theodore Roosevelt quote, the man in the arena. It's, it's oh, when you- Oh,
0: I love that quote. Yes.
1: Yes. You got to step into the arena. And one of the things I learned- Um, is, you know, if you go into the arena with a big shield, you're going to think that your power is the shield, right? Right. You need to, you need to feel it all on your skin because when you're feeling it on your skin, you're going to make the decisions because discomfort causes growth, right? Discomfort makes us ask questions. When everything is comfortable, we'll just be sitting back, having a margarita on the beach, and we're we're all good, right? So, um, but you know, like I said, this was this was a journey and a practice that evolved also because I, I grew up in a very difficult relationship with um, an alcoholic father, and I learned at a very young age about resilience and great, even though I couldn't define them. But it gave me, let's say, that, that wherewithal. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is each and every one of us is, is resilient. Because if you think about, when's the last time you ever said, I can't take one more thing?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you do. You're still yeah. here. Right?
0: <laughs> you take a lot more things. Lot more <laughs> That's things. So true. <laughs> our, our back is against the wall. Yeah. And somehow we
1: find strength. But what if we could find that strength at will? Not oh, waiting for us. That's
0: good. At the wall. That's
1: that's you know, so that's so good. I could go on and on, on and that's
0: on. That's so good. You you are obviously stepping into what you're do you're supposed to be doing as well, because just this little conversation that we've been having, not a little conversation, but the short conversation we've been having, you've dropped amazing gems and nuggets already. So I'm sure that you're an amazing life coach and helping people with, you know, their challenges and where they're stuck, right? Because you have now, um, fortunately and unfortunately, a great perspective, right? Because you had to go through that hard loss in order to gain that perspective. Um, But at the same time, we benefit from your perspective,
1: Right? Oh, thank
0: you thank you so it's a it's a beautiful thing so before i let you go i really want you to let my audience know about the memoir oh
1: sure um
0: uh, just a little synopsis of what it's you know what it's about and the name of it and where we can find it find you you know follow you things like that please
1: oh, oh great wonderful um okay well first to follow me you can just go to my website which is robertparty.com um right. Also, it has all the links for Instagram and everything else on, on the, the website itself. For the the memoir, which is due out on June 21st, it was my wife's favorite day because it's the brightest day of the year, right? So uh, it's called Chasing Life. And basically, it it walks through the, the highs and the lows of from when we met, to how her life unfolded and how we were able to there's not necessarily lessons but as you read the book you you learn how we decided to relegate the disease to be a minor portion of what it meant to live the life we were given however long we had it um, and how we both had to find our own way in that as well, because I did want to fix, I did want to make sure she was eating all all the organic food, and if she wanted a Krispy Kreme donut, I'm like,
0: no sugar, sugar feeds cancer, no.
1: Yeah, um,
0: so, totally get that. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and that's that that it brings us up to. You know when when she when she passed away, um, and it was those lessons that I was able to harness to decide to follow my own dreams and and leave my comfort zone. Of you know, I went back to Dubai because I had a ton of debt, paid off the debt, and then thought this is not the life I should be living. Um, right.
0: right, and
1: said oh, you know what, <laughs> I, I I don't know. Tomorrow might be my last day. Maybe five minutes from now might be my last, yeah. you know, five minutes. I
0: say that all the time. Yeah. yeah.
1: And showed up in Italy with two suitcases, not speaking Italian, not having a job and just said, okay, now <laughs> what?" <am> I- <laughs> that's
0: fantastic. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Because you've already, you, you have a, a mentality now, like not promise tomorrow. I'm going to do what I want now. I'm going to do what I want now. Right. And I have I've always said that too. I say that to my kids. I said, listen, we're not promised tomorrow. Does today look good for you? And if today was your last day, are you proud of today? You know, are you really proud of today? You know, uh, because most of us spend our our time, you know, binge watching Netflix, you know, and it's like, yeah, you can have those days. There are days when you need to, you know, like just do that. But for the most part, I try to get up and I never let my feet hit the floor without three things I am really grateful for. And if I can't find those three things, I'm not going to work that day because my feet are not hitting the floor. Like that is definitely one of my things, right? Because when you have an attitude that changes to gratitude, it changes everything. 100%. Really start to see life differently. You love your husband or wife more. You love your children more. You know, you give better advice. You're just, you're just on, you're on, you know, So I'm really um, proud of you, Robert, that oh, you decided you. to take your life experiences, but you know, also take the love that you had for Desiree beyond her life, right? Beyond her being here, because now we're all going to be impacted because of Desiree, you know. And the fact that you decided, I'm going to go ahead and write that book, and I'm going to I'm going to start life coaching people. Now you're touching, and Desiree is touching people beyond right? Beyond the limits of what we put life in this little box. So thank you for doing that. Thank wow. you for spending time with me here. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. you
1: for having me, really. This, this was a pleasure. This was really oh, a
0: pleasure. Great. I'm glad because I, I was really looking forward to this. And the more I kept reading like the article and the synopsis, I'm like, oh my God, I love Desiree. <laughs> <laughs> I Really love Robert. I mean, this is amazing. So I love what you're doing. And um, you know, I know we're connected through LinkedIn, so I cannot wait for your book and everything. I'm definitely picking that up immediately. So thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Okay, thank you. Thank you guys so much for watching and being here with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you can see much more amazing content like this. This was a beautiful, wonderful conversation with a beautiful human being about another beautiful human being. So thank you guys until next time make sure that you visit our website at straight talk no sugar added where you can subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher or anywhere you listen to your podcast or on YouTube so you'll never miss a show and while you're at it if you found value in this show we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or if you simply tell a friend about our show that would be awesome too if you like this show you might want to check out our book as well it's hit me with your best shot however I overcame a hard hitting life. I am Nina Perez and I am here for you. If you are looking for private coaching, make sure that you email me at hello at straight Until next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile